Patterson for the Movements Podcast. The podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're going to check in again with Jeff Sundell and talk about what it takes to fulfill a no place left vision. I began by asking him to explain no place left. Paul in Romans 15:23, as he's finishing up all the, his journeys and essentially uh, finishing up equipping those elders in Acts 20 and uh, finished up all the church planning and um, the gospel's been preached, he's at a point in time where he says that, man, there's no place left for me, you know. So, we, of course, we realize there's probably not everybody's heard the gospel, not everybody's a Christian in the area, but he's confident in what God's doing there, that the gospel's going to go forth, discipleship's going to go forth. So I honestly heard the phrase at a global trainer's forum in probably about 2004 or five, and um, it was connected to Paul's journey. So uh, something Steve had presented. So we took it back to South Asia and began to run with it in South Asia. And Nathan's the one who really just picked up with it and ran with it all, all over. Nathan um, Shanks. Uh, South, yeah, all over South Asia, just pushing the whole um, idea that uh, every single people group, unengaged, unreached people group, city would be engaged. And then um, fast forward, I, I came back to the U.S. and um, then my buddy James went over to South Asia and he, he got to listen to Nathan and, and James picked up on this and brought it back and at that time we were pushing for 55-50 and we still are, 50 cities raise up uh, 50 4G trainers in every city so that's 2,500 trainers and James came back and he said, now this is what you really meant. He said, this is what we need. There's no place left. And I'm like, yes, you're right, but it wasn't my idea. And um, so anyhow, it's just really stuck. It's just such a, um, it's comprehensive, it's sticky. And, and I think the interesting thing is it's just become a place where a lot of folks can um, uh, jump in. We, we don't even really call ourselves a network. We call ourselves more of a coalition. And so it's, it's hard to define exactly what this is, but we've tried to just keep it a vision. Mm. where it's not an organization, you can't get any money through it, you can't uh, brand anything through it. It's just a vision of let's make sure every city, every single people group, every single corner and segment and chunk in a city has had an opportunity to hear the gospel from somebody's mouth to their ear. And uh, to me, that's what's just so beautiful about it. Um, it's just, it gives you a place to, to pop in and fit. Mm. And then just also, I think, just allows these guys that, to uh, bud in that vision um, in their cities among their people groups, just to push and just say, let's 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 finish this task in our generation that everybody hears the gospel and look forward to that day of Revelation five nine seven nine when uh, every tribe and tongue is worshiping from around the world that uh, holy holy is the Lamb worthy of all praise glory and honor and so what a what a wonderful hope you know that that would be so it's. Uh, like I said, I didn't have much to do with it. I, I've just gotten along for the ride, and um, but it's uh, amazing how God has used it, and it's just um, growing this coalition of people around the uh, globe um, to push for no place left. In terms of the U.S., what what are you seeing in terms of no place left and the people coming on board, and and what are you learning about fulfilling that vision? Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is that um, it, if 
I'd almost say there's two distinct, um, I guess, landing pads, you might say. So one Troy shared with you guys a couple weeks ago is uh, churches have become really um, open and buying into this in their cities. And so this would be what I would sort of almost call a disciple-making multiplication landing pad. You know, so this is one place where there's just been a lot of openness and you're seeing coalitions of churches come together in cities uh, cross-denominationally, just beginning to see this butt up and, um, and, and pushing for no place left to make sure geographically and segments and people groups. And, of course, the, the other thing is with uh, uh, many cities in the U.S. becoming majority-minority with the uh, immigration and refugees coming in, it's just given us incredible opportunity of putting um, uh, the ends of the earth at our doorsteps. And so that's uh, that's the one landing pad um, that's real exciting. And, and there's Troy Price shared that there's three entry plants. There's sort of disciple making, uh, there's mobilization to the nations, and then there's also uh, church planting. You know, that there are chunks of society where we're going to have to plant churches. Um, and then the other one is just the straight up uh, church planting landing pad where uh, there's a number of people. Um, and I would say, you know, probably two or three years ago, the disciple making, uh, the vision of multiplication, just something I think the Holy Spirit has been doing around the globe is just calling us back to disciple making. And, and so there's just been a real sense of openness the last several years in the U.S. context for that. But the last eight, nine months, um, there's been a new openness to church planning that we've never seen before. And uh, so it's been really exciting to see um, just new opportunities for church planning. And when we, uh, we had a training down in Florida in January, and it had about 100 people show up to it, but about 75% had already um, at least went out, won some people to Christ, gathered them, we're trying to figure out how to get to church, but it was starting with lostness in the harvest. And so it was just real exciting to see that kind of, um, it was just different. Uh, we, we had never really experienced quite a meeting like that on, on a, that level. And uh, we just had another one recently, not quite as large, but again, about 75% of the folks came in were actively already trying to plant churches among lost people. Now, that also creates all new uh, sets of learning curves and problems we're trying to figure out, and, and we keep failing forward and learning in. But um, that's just a, a few of the things. I guess, you know, of course, the other one is just the hunger um, to engage the UUPGs and UPGs in the U.S. Um, incredible need on the part of the body of Christ to do that, and there seems to be an openness and willingness to push that way, which is exciting. Of course, in the middle of a a hot uh, political climate mm. in the U.S. Um, it's it's a but it's an incredible opportunity because um, uh, this isn't a political problem. This is a spiritual problem, yes. and we yes. need to go and proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth right here in our doorsteps uh, around the U.S. And so it's it's an exciting time to be alive with what God's doing with uh, the refugees and immigrants, not only in the U.S. but Europe, all around the world. As far as learning goes. Um, it's been exciting to see multiplication of disciples is occurring much earlier now as we begin to engage people. You know, I think one, there's some great tools, which is really helpful. There's some good coaching, but obviously God's doing something, you know, and so you get you get places where you're 
you know, you're like, wow, you know, it took two years to see this happen before. And here's third generation disciples in eight months. And so there's a side where that's a God thing that has nothing to do with us. Um, but I also do think there has been a refinement of tools. Um, I think the, the work ethic of the disciplers and um, the folks people brought into the No Place Left Coalition is incredible. Um, it's, a, it's an incredible group of people to be around. It's just very encouraging to be around them. Uh, the interesting thing, of course, in the midst of that is you're getting the multiplication um, a little quicker, which is exciting, and we're learning um, more rapidly. Um, is, is also in the midst of that a real interesting thing that we've picked up on for quite a while now, at least I'd say the last six, seven months, is where we're, we, we really wrestled through, I mean, there'd be three key things I'd sort of say is, one, um, long-term discipleship's key, and I'm going to come back and visit that. Um, that. That's the bread and butter of this piece, as you're reaching your sphere of influence um, then committing to them uh, for the long haul, going from milk to mess to meat, you know, and just you got to work through the messy middle of discipleship. And then getting to church. And then in the midst of getting to church, how do you raise up pioneering elders? And, um, and, and here's an interesting thing that as we've looked now, because we've got a several-year track record, um, what's really interesting is where, and, and I'm, See if I can explain this well. When you go in and you've won somebody to Christ, you've discipled them, and God's clearly moving, and there's a sphere of influence coming to faith. And you go in there, and, and there's, there's sort of a twofold step on the identity of the church, where the one side, the planner saying, you are a church, and so we're encouraging this to become church. Um, and so we've really moved away from the word group and other things like that and just bringing the identity of church. But then there's got to be a point where that little group of believers who's just come to faith, um, and it's, you don't know exactly when it will be. Sometimes it's very early, within weeks. Sometimes it's within months. But they begin to say, hey, we are church. Hmm. Now, does that make them healthy? No, absolutely not. But it, it's the beginnings of what we would call a church start. And then as we're going through this short-term discipleship, um, one of the interesting things we noticed is as churches have self-identified, you know, we're given outside identification, you are church, but inside they're saying we are church. Essentially, when they are saying we are a church, our attrition rate on starts has decreased dramatically. So we're seeing much, a much more lasting fruit, which is exciting. Now, if we take it to the point of pioneering elder, now our problem is, is most of us are insiders. So we look around and we go, oh, my goodness. Wow, we're in trouble. You know, so we're, we're just trying to figure out how do, you, how do you help these folks select their leaders. And, you know, we're looking at, you know, the mess because there's a mess between milk and meat. And, um, you know, one thing that has been very interesting is, is we've gone back. And, and this is another one. This is sort of where Nathan dinged me. You know, we, we've been withholding that because we're looking at it going, man, there's no way. I, I don't know how we could you know, raise a guy up here. And the well, interesting thing that we did in South Asia is we didn't know the context. You know, we're as good as I know language, maybe in a cross-cultural situation, as well as I may know the people, I, I never know well enough the local character integrity. So we had to bring the training about character integrity to the body of Christ. And then the body of Christ 
had to make a decision, is there somebody here who's a man of character and integrity? And we would let them make the decision, and then they would work through that. Now, if they got to a situation where there wasn't somebody, the question you ask then, is there somebody who aspires to grow in character and integrity? And, you know, what you're looking for, a guy who goes, yeah, me, Mm. I I want to grow in character and integrity. Well, we were withholding that piece in the U.S., and it was, it's been a big mistake. What's been interesting in a few incidences is now we have gone back and we've taught about character and integrity, and we know, we know it's going to be thumbs down. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the church is going to say, no, nah, we're not ready yet. But the interesting thing is we've had several cases where somebody says, hey, i got this problem in my life, but, I, man, I would love to grow in character and integrity. Will you help me? Now, that doesn't mean we go and rush in and appoint them as a leader or anything like that, but we say, hey, let's walk with you now for a season and help keep discipling you. But now you got somebody who's aspiring, and they want to grow in character and integrity. Man, that's the kind of guy you want to disciple is somebody who wants to grow in character and integrity. Well, we weren't even given that opportunity before. And um, so, again, always in movements and uh, anytime you're discipling somebody, always look up before you look down. And so the blame comes here because I'm, I'm one of the ones that said, ah, just don't, don't push that issue here in the U.S. We, we know the, the situation because we're insiders. But we were limiting their ability to aspire to grow in Christ-likeness. So now here's the interesting thing, Steve, that's um, you connect. We've got church identity with self-identification. Now, if you take it up to where there have been elder type, pioneering elder types, pioneering type leaders— I'm just trying to distinguish that we're we're talking about something vastly different than say a launch model where we have a you know somebody who's come out of the seminary. These are people who came out of the harvest. So they're they're between milk, mess, going to meat. So we're helping there, we're looking for a good self-feeding man of character and integrity is where we're moving towards. Um, the interesting thing is where we've gotten to identity from the inside, where they say we're a church and they've raised up a leader, the attrition rate is almost zero. It's not completely zero, but it is, um, it's been a much better. Um, so isn't it funny, all the things in Scripture, mm-hmm. that when we, we stick as close to Scripture as we can, they actually really work really well until people like Jeff get stupid ideas and think we know everything. So, um, so just sharing, you know, it's been, um, so we're, we're, we're failing forward right here. But to me, it's exciting. Because that is, you know, you remember a few years ago when we were calling them groups and the attrition rate was just incredible. It had about a nine-month life. And now we've got, um, and, and here's sort of, I, I, I take a breath here, but I, I, what I think the key to this is, is the long-term discipleship. We love to talk about the fruit. You know, that's the, you know, man, there's stories of wonderful fruit. You know, I can, we can tell stories almost daily now of fruit, of baptisms, there's cool stuff happening, um, and it's exciting. But one thing that uh, is, is the that messy middle is long-term discipleship. And, you know, as you birth a child into the kingdom, you know, of course, the king is causing the birthing process, and he is going to cause the transformation. But we have a partnership with God on this, with the Great Commission, where we're to make a disciple and we got to do our part. And so we forget that as this person comes in the kingdom, we have a sense of responsibility for this person. So as this fruit comes into the kingdom, we have to invest in the fruit. 
But it's been really exciting, Steve, as we've done um, a number of mid-levels this year and, and last year. We're beginning to see, even at the mid-level type of training, some of the folks who've come out of the harvest are now leaders hmm. who are emerging in these um, mid-levels, which is really exciting because when you get around them, um, I had an experience in uh, a city, and a, a young man come up to me, and he, he gave me a big hug, and he said, um, he said, you're my great-great-grandfather spiritually. I'm like, huh? You know, and he was sharing how essentially uh, Zach, a number of years ago, had begun, you know, made a list of his sphere of influence, began praying for them, began sharing the gospel. He won some of his sphere of influence to Christ, and there he began to equip and train and disciple them in long-term discipleship, and they did the same, and they did the same. And so here you are. Um, we had several uh great-grandchildren and grandchildren, um, a, a number of, you know, some of them at this mid-level who are more now on a leadership level. Mm. But it was exciting to see um, the power of long-term discipleship. You are meeting people who came out of the harvest, who are now multiplying disciples, involved in church planning. They're young uh, in their faith, several years old. But man, just to see, I thought, man, I wish I was there in 19, I came to Christ in 1986. I wish that's what I would have been doing in 1988. I wasn't even thinking about this, mm. you know, and so to see where they were spiritually was very encouraging. And so I, I think that's the, the key piece um, that we can't forget about is these movements. We've got to invest uh, long-term in disciples and, um, and, and realize there's a messy middle. And, yeah. um, and I'll and I just share a couple things I think are key. Um, one is, is, one, really just sticking to that three-thirds meeting. Um, there's just a power. Um, you know, the, the Holy Spirit brings a transformation, but the, there's just some really core elements in that three-thirds meeting. And, of course, um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little ape, the missionary type. Um, some people say I look like an ape. But, you know, when you, when you think about this, um, you know, man, they, they need that care. You know, they need that encouragement. Um, you know, they just need somebody to love on them. They, they need to learn how to worship. Um, and then, of course, what us apes love to do is give the accountability. Hey, did you go share the gospel last week? And, um, but we also not only did they go share the gospel last week, how are you doing growing? Hmm. Are you growing spiritually? Are you growing depth in the kingdom with who the king is? Are you growing into that relationship with Jesus? And so to remember that accountability is not just sharing the gospel. Accountability is also your personal growth and your walk. And then helping them develop that vision of no place left. On, on a first level, the first place no place left needs to impact you is your sphere of influence. You know, so for your mom, your dad, your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles, your neighbors, this has to be personal. And that's the first place that a disciple needs to develop that that core of the no place left vision is to say, from now until Jesus comes or I go home, I am going to make sure that I make disciples within my sphere of influence. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. And I want to see my sphere of influence at the king's table someday, worshiping with him. And that, that's where it's got to begin is right there. And from there, that can butt into a no place left. Let's go after a city. Let's go after a people group. Let's be mobilized to the nations. But it's got to get personal there. And then, then of course, those new teachings, you know, 
and um, not only learning a new teaching, but learning how to pass on a new teaching. And that's what's happening when you're starting to see these guys have been discipled for not just nine months, several years, is these guys are not just passing on new teaching. They've grown in their spiritual walk. It's just really amazing to see. They've, they've learned to obey from early on, and they're growing in the knowledge of the Lord, and they're know, growing in that knowledge of that relationship with Him, one, from the Word, but also from the experience of the walk, the journey. And, of course, we know at the end we want to have setting goals for the next week, but again, about sharing the gospel, but also about that personal obedience and then commissioning these guys to go do it. But seeing that happen, you know, for nine months, a year, two years, three years, because some of these uh, men and women and folks you're going to invest in as disciples for, it's going to end up being the rest of your lifetime. Now, those relationships may change time to time from Paul to Timothy or maybe from Barnabas to Timothy, but it's key. We're trying to get folks to read a lot of Scripture just right from the very beginning, so we're encouraging them to read or listen to two to four chapters per day from the very beginning they come to Christ. One, so I think that this reading of a large chunk of Scripture is very helpful um, as they grow in this walk, but it's also marrying that with that next nine months where you have somebody personally discipling you or personally discipling that church and investing that long-term, so marrying consumption of large chunks of Scripture along with walking with people daily and helping them problem-solve um, in their life. And um, so I, I just think that's another one of those key pieces is getting them in the Word but also sensitive to listen and to obey um, the Holy Spirit as He's guiding and directing um, us in our walk. This is key. When you use the gospel, well, you share in the gospel, and the gospel is the filter. And um, but then when you find where God's working, you need to focus in and invest, and you need to stay the hall. That you can't just win somebody to Christ and walk away. Um, we, we have to invest in where the fruit is, where God's working. So just key, it's, it's, um, it's not real, uh, you know, it's, I think we forget. Um, and I guess the other side of it's uh, we, we not only forget, but it's, it's messy. Hmm. You know, the discipleship is messy, and it's going to take a season of working through, because um, all of us have a, a certain level of mess in our lives that God's got to transform and change. And, but I think when you, when you get somebody in the Word, walking with somebody, uh, the power of transformation on God's part just seems to be accelerated, you know. And uh, so it's just, it's, to me, it's the intentionality side of it, just to make sure we're intentional to invest. If you're a disciple and you're a little more shepherding, you're probably going to maybe put a little more emphasis on the growing on that personal side. Um, or if you're a little more the, the missionary type, you're probably putting a little more emphasis. The thing is finding to keep the balance, and, and we got to have both pieces in sync, and they can be in sync from day one when somebody meets Christ. Um, and to me, that's the intentionality piece, and um, that's the piece that's really missing in our culture uh, here, um, probably around the globe, just being intentional with the discipleship piece and then stay in the course. Um, for the long term. In the next phase of what God's doing through this no place left vision, 
Um, what what do you see? What are you trusting him for about where this is going next? Well, I mean, there, there's several things. One, I think, on the obstacle side, um, it, we're we're excited, definitely, what God's doing. You know, but we're still facing some pretty um, substantial obstacles. Some are really related to probably a Western European or U.S., maybe distinctly even U.S. worldview. Um, and one of those uh, that really affects a lot of what we do is um, what I would say is an individualistic worldview. And so this this idea, and, and you'll hear it in a lot of ways. Um, one way you'll hear it just in as we're, you know, discipling somebody, it just comes out natural. To me, the scriptures say, and, and it's that very individualistic, you know, sort of way we do things. And then even when it maybe comes to going out to share the gospel with somebody, you'll hear, well, that's that's up to them to make that decision. Well, yeah, it is up to them to make that decision, but it's my responsibility to go share the gospel with them. So it's amazing how that permeates everything. And so one, we're, we have, we've got to figure out and, and God's going to have to show us a couple things. One, how do secondary relationships in a culture where there's very few primary relationships still interconnected or they're rather weak or they're very small, how do these secondary relationships, and when I say secondary, the workplace, your passions, your CrossFit group, your neighborhood, how do these become primary relationships um, in, in what we're doing to share the gospel for one and making disciples? And that, that has to change. Um, and we're not really sure. Now, there, are, there is something God just sort of, we feel like, gave us recently that we're going to attempt. And so one, one of those things is changing the language in the church, in disciple-making. So we're adding another question in to our Discovery Bible study set. So we have a method we call the sword, and everybody uses different ones of what they use for Discovery Bible study. But we're asking a question, what do we as the church need to do. And just to try and start thinking one anothering, um, just to see if that, that little piece will help us start changing. Um, so we've been experimenting with that for probably, we, we, God sort of gave us that in Houston a few weeks ago at Wood's Edge. So we've just, we're at the beginning stages of it, but we really felt like it was, it was something God gave us. And then when we get to the goal setting, we're actually setting a goal. What will we, the church, do? And so setting a goal of something the church can do, a tangible goal. And so some of this, again, is just trying to deal with that individualistic worldview that's just so prevalent here. So one, we're believing and asking God to help us overcome that because it, it directly affects and limits the size because um, the other big sort of obstacle we have that we struggle with is how do you get to a critical mass in the church? So we're seeing good first generation where the church grows to a decent size um, and then sometimes second generation. But when you start seeing some of the third and fourth generation churches, we're not really getting to critical mass. And, and we don't even know what critical mass is, honestly, but we, we feel like it's five to six units. Anyhow, we're believing God's going to help us overcome that obstacle because we want to see healthy fourth generation churches. And, um, and, and we feel like we're moving the right way, but we just, we just got to see God break that barrier, and he's going to have to show us how to do that. Um, 
So that, that's on one level. You know, the other thing we're still believing God for is getting to these 50 key cities. And so we were actually just assessing just recently, you know, what, where is our leadership? Um, and again, it's an all volunteer army. Uh, nobody's part of one organization. There's multiple organizations and uh, many, many folks are working full-time jobs who are doing this. And that really needs to be the norm of what we're doing is that most folks have to be, got to be double vocational. If we're really going to do this, we need most folks to be double vocational. And, um, you know, and so I think that's the, the other key piece is, so we're in an assessment um, part right now where we're trying to assess where we are. And then um, God's just brought, I, I would just say, I'm going to call it hot coals. There's such a hunger right now. Um, there's these hot coals all over the nation, and we're trying to figure out how do we organize ourselves in such a way that we can go out and do coaching and encouragement. What, what we've seen is just, just even from the trainings this year and just the hunger, there's, the hot coals is what we're saying, is that God has raised up people all around this nation who are hungry um, for movement, hungry to see God, just yearning to see God move. And so what we're trying to figure out is how do we organize ourselves in such a way? Um, so one, take advantage of where we have folks that are doing this who could then coach and mentor others. But then how do we fill in the gaps? How do we, how do we fill in the gaps where we don't necessarily have folks? That's all we've got time for today. To connect with No Place Left, visit noplaceleft.net. I'm Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast.